Outsider is a show that focuses on the experience of the outlier, misconceptions, culture shock, and navigating your 20s as an immigrant and debunking stereotypes. Let's lift the veil. As a black woman, I feel unsafe, unheard, and fading in the background. Let's talk culture, politics, faith, and healing. Hello, Ole. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not bad, sweetie. Not bad at all. Oh, it's nice to be finally on your show. How long has it been? I've literally nagged you for weeks and weeks on something. I know. We've been talking about it forever. I that know. That is true. Yeah. Well, now is the time. God's timing, right? Yes. All in God's time. All in God's time. Yeah. Nothing before it's time. Mm-hmm. So, guys, welcome back to Outsider. My name is Ole, aka Albagwe, as you know. Um, today we have Denise Ogilvie. Did I pronounce it well? You did. You did an yes. excellent job. Thank you, <laughs> Denise Ogilvie. Um, Denise and I, I met Denise through her very handsome son. We're not going <laughs> to talk about her son because that's not the point of the show. I met Denise through her son, who's a very good friend of mine. Um, I think early twenty, wait, late twenty nineteen, or is it early? eighteen, really. Yeah. So quite a while back, I've known Denise for for quite some time, but I think our relationship cemented this semester. I mean, I knew of her before we spoke. We always had really good conversations, but not to the not to the depth that we've had them recently. Um. Yeah. So I was like, okay, Denise has interesting things to say. I'm sure my guests would love to hear what you, I mean, what, what wisdom you're going to impart today. So we're just going to, you know, have a good time and just chat. So who is Denise Ogilvie? Denise Ogilvie. Um, right now, I'm a non-trad student at Principia College doing an undergrad. I had hope to come in and collaborate with them, but mostly because my kids came here uh, to print. And it was, I also wanted my 11 year old to come to the school. And so the easiest way for me was to take a, a study sabbatical from my NGO back home and do uh, an enlightenment. And then I decided why not do after my husband's passing, why not stay and and do an undergrad degree, which is what I'm doing now. So I've created my undergrad degree, and I'll tell you a little bit about that too, um, and why I created it. Uh, but my two first children, who you know, uh, Dina and Akimi, were went to school with you, and they um, they used to tell me about what it was like to be a college student and stuff, and I understand a little bit because I taught and worked with college and university students who are either doing research back home or with community work. So I, I, but a lot of them were from Canada and the UK and um, Germany and France and um, other countries in Europe, but also to the students that I had from the United States were mostly on the eastern um, eastern seaboard and California, like UC Davis and stuff like that. So it was a different type of... I had a lot of assumptions of what college and university was like. And I, I had drawn those from the colleges and universities that I was engaging research back home with, you know? And so I would tell my kids, you know, this is life. Get with it. You don't mm. understand. Mom, you don't understand how it is and stuff like that. It says, come on. You know, this. the work world is full of that deadlines and stuff. You'll have many things to juggle and things of that nature. But I've come to the understanding now to understand that college is not life, thank God. You know, <laughs> um, it, you can pace yourself even if you have a high-pressure job. You, your boss understands it's a high pressure job and would make um, allowances for your uh, mental state, 
you know, emotional state in a lot of businesses that I know, you know, but unless you happen to be working for a fast food agency that doesn't care about the human resource, and I still think that they do. So, it, but what I've experienced here is different. And this school is um, different from some of the schools that I have been to because we don't have things like um, mental health departments that, you know, counselors who would deal with that. We don't have counselors that can understand that. We now have a wholeness center. So it, 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 these are things that now emerge in, and I know that they exist in other schools, to tell you the truth. It's not a school of research either, and it's not a school of um, where professors have to actually go out there and, and, and publish or perish. It's, so it's for them, um, the professionals who come in to teach, they're Christian scientists, first and foremost, in order to be hired. So there were lots of expectations that I I thought that they would understand about teaching and things of that nature, but it, it did not pan out that way. Perfect. I'm just going to um, pause you right there because I think you touched on a whole lot of things that I would obviously like to, us to expand on as the conversation um, continues. So, Denise, first, um, what is your race and what's your ethnicity? Before we go into where you go to school, um, what the challenges have been, you losing your husband and you becoming from being a parent to now being a student and you said non-tread, obviously a non-tread is a terminology we use at print. And I, I wouldn't have known what non-tread is if I hadn't, I hadn't been a Principia student. So I'll first start by asking you what your race and your ethnicity is. Well, so I'm, I'm and, which black. Con- and which country? <laughs> I'm black for, for sure, but um, uh, my, my ethnicity is quite mixed, you know, um, so I, I'm also from the island of Grenada mm-hmm. and if our, our society is very cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. It's predominantly black, um, but a lot of mixed race. And so, and, and we have a lot of foreigners who live on our island. So I would have been considered a foreigner as well. I lived a lot of my life moving around because of not having a place of, residents that I could belong to um, equitably. And um, so here it is. I'm now, I I think Grenada is the longest place that I've lived in in all my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I own it as home. If you had to ask me where was my home, I'd tell you Grenada. The where did you live before you moved to Grenada? Oh, I I was on other islands. I I worked in Denmark. I you know I moved around as an international consultant um, to um, for logistics and research for companies that were doing projects or something back in in other um, countries. So my ability to or my my lack of identity has helped me to be a chameleon in other people's spaces. Oh, that's to, nice. To adapt and, but to know many cultures at the same time, because you have to be able to, um, you know, a lot of my time when I first get to know you is to sit and listen and look, and I'm looking to see what habits I have to mimic, what's right, what's wrong. As I got older, I got a little more confident to own my own space and who I was and step up. So I kind of understand a lot of students who come here and who are a little bit lost for identity because you have to conform. But when you go back home, it's even harder because now that you have become, they identify you right off the bat, you know, oh, are you a foreigner? And it's like, no, but, you know, and they consider the way you dress and what you do and what you say and all the little trinkets you have as you being wealthy when, when it's not the case. So um, I, I totally understand what it must be like for a lot of students to go back home. You culture is ever evolving, where, whatever space you have. Today we have, um, I'll just share a thing from, so from the seventies, right? Mm-hmm. We're accustomed to the um, using the, the um, 
uh, uh, phrase of, hey, we'll hook up later. But if I use that in this day and age, that means another thing totally. <laughs> so just to tell you how culture is forever evolving, you know, and so you, you can't, what you left in five years is not what you'll meet when you go back. And if you don't have any social capital and connections, right, mm -hmm. with people back home, it's harder to get a job. It, it's harder to fit in. Your morals and your ideals have changed because to fit in the place called the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, wherever you might be, it, you, you have to conform to that. And those become your habits. And going back home, you have to kind of either unlearn and relearn, which takes time, or you're a bit against the society, you know, there's there's that friction for a lot. Because you've traveled. Yeah. Because and you've acclimated to another society. That is very true. Right. I find that I, that's, that's something that I'm experiencing now with going back home and obviously losing a few friends. Because you grow as an individual, you don't obviously stay the same. So you come back with ideals and different ideologies that you have now sunk into. Um, yes. for lack of a better word, it's very difficult to go back and understand the different political systems and empathize with it uh, if you have to. Um, what did I want to ask you, Denise? You said you're a non-trad. What does, what does that mean? Uh, non-trad is a, pers a, a student who's over 25 or 23. So you're not talking about the 17-year-old who's coming straight out of high school anymore. You could take a gap year and come into here. However, I'm a 57-year-old non-trad, but we won't talk I about this I always say on this show that age is a social construct. That does not matter. That's okay, but for the listeners out there to know, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, it, it's not a spring chicken looking at this. And I'm saying yeah. that on purpose because with the amount of experience that I've had, I get to compare what different contexts to th different things. For instance, the going back home, I wanted my kids to make sure that they came back home. I said, you, you're going out to learn something to come back and build your country. But then when I recognized from my NGO and everything that they, they were becoming different people. They're my kid, my Dina and Kimmy, I mean, they've been out here since um, eighth grade. That's a long time, right? You know, so it's it's hard for them to acclimatize and come back to all the issues back home. And in fact, we actually had a revolution that was started by a lot of students who came back late seventies, early eighties, who were influenced by Black Power Movement, by the Panthers, by, you know, the Brixton riots and all of this and coming back home for equality. Yeah. Because Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Do you think that disrupts the economy when people from different, well, perhaps I, if I went back home and I thought I could bring um, capitalist, capitalistic um, ideologies into a classicist, classicist society would that disrupt my economy maybe um there are many that's that has so many avenues to it because mm -hmm. in a way in disrupting your economy right you can improve it you can take them out of old habits to bring them into a new light but at the same time you might be taking away for community values that keep your society get together to bring in values that divide people. So that has a give and take to it. Yeah. yeah. So you might make them more materialistic where they might've been more community minded, where they would be doing more sharing. Now they want to charge their neighbor for everything, every ounce of air that they breathe, you know? So mm -hmm. you, you, they, it has a give and take to it, to tell you the truth. But I just wanted to jump back to, um, the perceptions of what we thought were um, college and the non-trad students um, in it. We, I've seen other non-trad students come through here. They've had children. Um, and I'm learning from a lot of alumni that non-trads are not new. Since the 70s and the 80s, 
this school has been doing non-trads, but it has made no space for non-trads. One of the best moments in this school's um, year is used to be before COVID, what they call the summer session, where a lot of persons who are non-trads will come for classes. And so I also know of um, a survey that was done by the Gates Foundation that showed that over 40% of the people entering schools right now are non-trads. They've taken a year off to work. They decided that they didn't want to be in the books anymore. The rich kids take gap years. They, they, they find themselves. So to, to not understand, I can't understand when schools haven't provided for non-trads and to see non-trads that way. I also know that non-trads, if you come to a place that, um, does not do research to keep on top of the topics that it's teaching, a non-trad can easily out you as a professor. The, um, I don't know about, I, I mean, I, that's not my experience. I came in as a non-trad, but not the typical non-trad because I was in the middle. I was, I think, about, about 20. I was in my early 20s at the time. And I found it very challenging for me because there was a stigma the stigma that i was too old to be in college at that time because the the standard age for graduation here in the states is 21 so by 21 someone's graduated because they've started at 18 but i had i was a transfer i had come in and i was i'd done two years at another university and i thought my 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 credits would transfer but that's a story that's a story for another day i thought obviously my stuff would transfer they didn't and i had to continue on and add add on to the the classes that i'd had but i don't i think it depends how strong in character you are in order to make it as an untrad i had to completely focus on my my education because i was like Evidently, these people are either, I didn't, you weren't there at the time. So a lot of the people that were there were younger than me by, by a lot. So no one was really thinking as rigorous, as rigorously as I, as I wanted. I mean, the, the conversations that I needed to have, the rigorous conversations that I needed to have, I wasn't having. Mm-hmm. So I was growing past the people that were at home in, in, at least because I'd traveled, you know, traveling does that to you. Once you've traveled, you grow outside of your, you grow out of your old habits. So I, I'd had that experience. I'd come in and a lot of my friends were in their early twenties and that was a challenge on its own. So how does a school prepare for non-trads and how do non-trads that are not in their fifties or forties acclimate and a small school like Print because Print is small. A non-trad in a bigger university and a non-trad at Principia experience totally different. Have a have a totally different experience. So, how would what what advice would you give to a non-trad in order to prepare them for living in the United States as a non-trad? Um, well, I'd say ask a lot of hard questions of the college first because I wish I had asked them these questions prior to coming here. I, the, I had another university that I was working with that the opportunity to actually do my degree with them, who and they understood what a, a methodology of teaching, which is called um, accrediting life experience, which this college doesn't understand or hasn't implemented. Um, I've since spoken to another, with my advisor, um, we spoke to another university that was interested in taking me for my postgrad, and um, they too have accreditation for life experience. We have um, accreditation uh, for courses, but um, to test out, yes. Um, but Non-trads, I knew of one one guy who came in who was working in a bank and he could have done the accounting and everything. And mm-hmm. he just, you know, oftentimes we have to sit in class and, and pretend to be dumb, you know, to give everybody else a chance. So I, I've recently brought it up about, you know, this said thing and said, 
well, we too are paying. You know, it'd be nice to either have the ability to have a robust conversation with to to you know concretize our education to to fill our our interests. But I mean, I don't know whether the right words to use is dumb or maybe less experienced because I think the outside world gives you an experience that the theory would not give you like the theory that you get at school. So because you've been out in the world and you've, you obviously had your own experience with your, with your NGO, it's easier for you to implement that, which is why I said to you, I think I'm pretty nervous about going straight into grad school and feeling like I'm going into grad school with one, somebody who really knows their theory two somebody and, and then somebody who's obviously a non-trad who's probably in their fifties, that's had a year of, communication I mean years of communication so they know what they're talking about even when they have those conversations they know what they're saying versus I'm like okay this is something I'm passionate about I which is why I said I think it's important to take the year off to defer after college because then you know what you want what you want to take out of it what you want to what what information you want to get out of it and how that thing will how that degree will help in the next step after after that so Five yeah, percent of the students who finish their undergrad never use their degree. Uh, use their degree, five percent, because and this is why I I think, you know, um, if I had to do it with my kids again, I'd tell them take a job for a year or two and then figure out coming back to college. But you know, some for international students, it's hard to break that visa, and so you keep it going and just to stay in the system and get it all done ASAP. But there are many, you know, um, last year when students were, the thought of students going back home was the thing, you know, after OPT. And I I, I see it um, here on the college as well, you know, about, okay, you, you go back home. You didn't prepare me to go back home. You didn't, you taught me to be American. And then you want to know why I want an American job. But I can't take these skills that you've taught me. So colleges know that they're bringing in international students. It is important to globalize the education that you're doing it, which means professors then should say, okay, I am having um, uh, Ole from Botswana. I have to do my research just like I do for all the other stuff, you know, to figure out how to teach. I have to figure out how... What is in her country? And in teaching that in the class, I'm also preparing domestic students to take up jobs so in the global market. So nobody's losing. This is not like you're catering specially to me. We add internationals add. In fact, if you go anywhere in the world and you go to an international school, it's one of the most expensive, exclusive schools that there are, you know? So I, I've had some persons saying, but you want us to cater to you. No, we don't. No, no, no. I want you to use, my, use me to enhance your experience here for everyone. I know domestics who don't even have their passport, who've never traveled outside. We are bringing that to you, you know. So we do abroad studies and stuff like that, but we do abroad studies still where none of our students for the leisure, and so it doesn't it it doesn't come out to be a, an experience of learning because you're traveling as a tourist. I've had universities from Canada and from um, Europe come home to me, and they do what is called immersion. Yeah. Can you elaborate on so that? So immersion is like what Peace Corps and other people will do. You have to learn how the people live in order to understand what's going on. Now, if you're doing this mm. course for the whole semester, why aren't you doing immersion? You know? So you should understand what it costs for the person to live every day according to what social strata they have, what it means to be of their ethnic origin or the diverse ethnic origins within. You should understand something of the politics and the um, and the other thing is when you get to a country, you should have tapped into people who are like um, uh, you know 
uh, people who are scholars, uh, people who have experience, to be able to give you an official thing, not a, a tour bus driver. He can't give you that experience, you know? He can't give you a legitimate understanding of what it is to be in the country. So I have had, when, when we have had back home students traveling like that, there are so many misconceptions used. There's so many misconceptions. It's unbelievable. And I also think in teaching um, in the classroom, like for instance, we were talking about the issue of chocolate, but it started with the issue of chocolate in Ghana. Why can't we start with chocolate, the industry, and then get to Ghana? Because cocoa is not even of Africa. It was imported by the colonials there. Let's talk about how it came about in there, not just about child slavery, because you're missing the whole conversation, really, the context of the conversation of how this started. And that, without checking that context, you're building another generation of people who are just taking it for granted that this is an African problem that happened, you know, not understanding that this is a development problem that has happened when you just embed something into people's world, take away their cultural understanding, don't get to understand what they think of culturally. And because it's not of you, it's not right. You know, a lot of our countries, especially the developing world, we live very community-based. So we don't have major, major capitalist understanding. We do have ideas. Yeah. You're right. So we, we, are still in helping our neighbor. And you, you can, you know, the the we see popular shows of Ellen DeGeneres and other things trying to promote community sharing and giving and stuff like that. And when we have it naturally, yeah. But it's it's somehow we are almost chasing the wrong rainbow to try and belong, to be more progressive. So I just want to come back to what it means for students to go back home, yeah, and for students here. I thought I came in with a job. I will pay my way. My F1 visa does not allow me to work any other place but on the, um, uh, on the, on on the, the, campus. On the campus. So could you kindly tell, tell the audience what the F1 visa means? The F1 visa is a student visa. To come in on the student visa. You, you also spoke about the OPT. Expand on what the OPT o, is. OPT is um, occupational, optional. Op, op, optional training um, practice. Optional practical, practical training. training. So basically, yeah. So basically, optional practical training is a year you're given for a, if you're a, a BA, like a bachelor's, if you had a bachelor's of art, basically not, not STEM, not STEM related degree. A non-STEM related degree gives you about three to, I think three, three years. I may not be, I may be off with the numbers. I'm not a STEM major. I wouldn't know. But they get a little more than um, a Bachelor's of Arts. So I know that that's a, that's a year you're given after your, after your degree is done in order to work for a year. And then after that year is over, you basically go back to your country. Unless you choose to go to grad school or find a job that's willing to pay for you. But a lot of the time, the schools that are here in the States, let me not speak for other schools, but in my experience, it's very tough for the school to prepare international students to, I guess, prepare international students for work outside the community or work outside the school they've been at. So once they leave, it almost kind of tells you, you you get your degree and then what what then how does how how does the school prepare its students i beg to, to work because there are universities yeah. that actually partner with this is i you know our situation at as principia college is unique <laughs> you know but they partner with businesses they do research and they partner with those re so in doing research they're able to keep abreast of the ever-evolving issues within whatever field is really important. When people like University of Maryville, I was checking them out, they partner with businesses and have you do internships inside of there 
to understand how big is that school compared to it's, it's bigger which means that if it's bigger it means that it's harder for them to do it is easier as a small institution to do it maybe we, maybe print doesn't have those resources what do you think um have you checked out the endowment just wondering See now, I'm 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 playing devil's advocate because maybe the person that's listening may not know what kind of community print is. But also, too, so we have some of the Fortune 500 as alumni and trustees. So you know, it we have what does businesses. Well, if you're going to help out, if I were print, I'd be lobbying the people who have been you know here and say, look how you can grow the world. I mean. Think, let's just take the solar car for in- instance. We do have solar car. What does that mean? What does the, that I'm mean? Trying to, solar car. The solar car is a solar car, a car run on solar power, <laughs> right? Um, we, no, you don't have to get tacky with it. It is what is. I'm sure our audience is educated. So, you know, um, it's, the solar car is a project of, of print. It is supported by people who have solar companies so Mm. if you're talking about those people expanding their market for instance yeah in Mm. a global manner and a lot of the engineers that work there happen to be africans yeah uh, or hispanic yeah so if we grow that use that to say okay well now here's a possible sponsor um uh program to help these kids go back home and start solar for their country. You, um, the United States is now back into the Paris Agreement. There is the Green Climate Fund. There are many opportunities for these, um, what they call public-private partnerships. Here's the possibility of actually doing something quite meaningful and being an international school by actually reducing the carbon footprint of the world. Yeah, by helping to train up people to go back home and start these industries, by partnering that with them to do these things. These are all doable things, but you have to be on purpose thinking about how international students are going to go back home. If you're just taking them, you know, UC Davis has programs, Prescott College, beautiful program. They actually have a research center in Kenya, yeah? The lady who started the Black Lives Matter, she's one of the sociologists there. They, they work in the field. They, it's field experience, experiential learning. So they're actually doing these things. So it's not hard for people to do. It's not hard for a college like this to do. It just has to be mindful and purposeful and say, we want this. But I have heard recently that... Um, you know, little stories about the possibilities of the international office. And I want to make a statement here. The international, if it wasn't for the international office, a lot of these things that I'm now talking about are being looked at with the career center, with the, um, with the possibilities of how do we grow our credit score here because for future, how do we, um, making sure we have the right IDs, making sure that we understand the linkages to possible internships, making sure that we understand. These are the things that are really important. And I know a lot of universities and colleges that actually do that. In fact, people come to headhunt at technical universities and colleges for the STEMS thing. I totally like. I I totally agree with what you say. What you said because when it comes to credit score, I had no idea what that is. I had to watch YouTube videos. In fact, the person that actually <laughs> coaxed me into getting a credit card was an international student themselves. So I think it's important for the international office to be headed by an international person, somebody that's actually had the experience of an international student because they know the needs of an international student. You know what I mean? It can never be someone outside to take care of international students. It's the same way you, I mean, I feel like it's a bit skewed to say, okay, international students should come to the United States for four years, work for a year and go back because 
going back home is a challenge in that when you live in a classicist society, even getting a job is tough. So if you've been out of the country for four years, when you come back, there's this concept that, okay, your parents have money to take you out or whatever funding you were using to go there. Why don't you stay there? Because now we have people that graduated in the country that are looking for jobs. So the first priority is the people that went to school at home. For me, it's going to be tough for me to go back home and decide I want to work because I've been out of that system for so long in that the system is not going to take me back in the same way that it would take back somebody that has been living there and hasn't left. That is so true. So true. You see, the I think the, in, the recruiters, and I'm saying this to a young recruiter, that you have to get to know the place that you're bringing people from. Because if you want to go back, if you want them to go back, you need to know what it is that needs to be done. How are you preparing them? And I'm not saying schools should baby kids, baby their students, but how is the school preparing the students to either go back if that's the plan? You know, those things should be conversations that I had. And I, 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 I speak so highly. I just want of- to also add another thing. In my region, mm-hmm. we have we're a small island of a hundred thousand, a hundred and twelve thousand people, and we have so many qualified people who leave to go with. When they come back, what job space? You have to wait until somebody passes away in the bank in order to even move up. Yeah? It's the same thing with so us. So the, there's a small amount of jobs. You're talking about joblessness. So, uh, and again, all you need to do is go to the CIA fact sheet and you'll find out what the rate of unemployment is. You'll find out what the rate of poverty is the Gini index you'll understand all of these things so it it's not like this is hard for the institution to gather knowledge on it has to be on purpose it has to be the fact that they they are it's not a tokenism we've got some people here from africa or we have 20 percent um internationals or we have 30 countries here represented. No, if you're going to do this, that's tokenistic. If if you're really doing this to better the world, to better the human resource, then you need to take some more interest in what that is and do some homework. You need to research what those places are like. What is it that they have? Because they have pluses and minuses. It's not just poverty lines. You know, I got to find out. And it's not just... For internationals, I just want to add that because I I was doing um, a research for my global um, global strategies class, and I did brain drain as my my project, and I recognized the amount of persons coming from states that are not as wealthy and not as developed as other states, and they 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 leave. That's the once the human resource leaves. The economy falls, it diminishes, yeah? Because you can have all the technology in the world if you don't have people to run it, you know? It's not going to continue to build. So you, in doing this, they're not doing us a favor, you know? They're actually bettering it for all. So they need to find out, I, you know, I'm, Wyoming, what is that like? I'm getting a kid from Dakota. What mm. is that like? You know, how can we actually do this? You know, these are the things that really need to be done. You know, a, a lot more robust um, thing. And and for me as a student to be able to find all these things, I'm doing the classes and I'm finding out all this information, then it's doable for you. Right. You're American. You're here. You know, you can do it. I know you can do it. I know other universities doing it. Start talking to other universities. Yeah, not just in the Midwest, but go back out and talk to a lot of Because if you have the desire to grow, then see what the best are doing and then come down in. But you're small enough to do it. Yeah. So what I'm so grateful for is the fact that we have in the international office uh, two people who have gone through the system. And one is now American, yeah? And so they understand all that it takes to live in America, to work in America, 
to be in America, what it takes to do that. The other is fresh out, but has had, a, he's the director, but he understands. And we needed that. We needed that because we've had people before who, I mean, I met the first person and they told me about their trust fund and their husband's trust fund. But that won't be students, every student coming from the international experience. We, we need to have people who are um, understanding what it means to have to work. Because that's the other thing. You're not allowed to work outside. You are paid minimum wage. Yeah. And you have all the other expenses to pay. On top of minimum wage, you can't work. You can only work about 20 yes. hours. That's if you can, if you're able to manage your academics as well as, yeah, basically your, your academics and maintain a certain yeah. GPA. And that's 3.5, 3.0. So 3.0. So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't speak for everybody. I, I was able to do that for a few years, but I'm sure there are people that struggle. I wasn't an engineer major, so I don't know what it takes. I'm sure there are people that were engineer majors and struggled to maintain that GPA yes. some semesters and weren't able to do that with their fees being however high yes. it was. And as a result, those students cannot leave oh. campus on, in the summer because they have to work to pay for the previous bills or what have you. So I think it's important. That's a really important conversation to have um, for people that are thinking about coming to the States, for people that are students in the States. Um, it is challenging, especially maybe if maybe you're maybe the first one to go to university from your, your home and right now the political the political um climate maybe some people have been retrenched how are those students able to meet those bills without being kicked out of the school yes. system and and rightly so and and when we offer jobs of dining services and stuff it's nothing i can put back on my i mean um hire me i have experience in dining <laughs> like services that. And I've done flex crew with, I know how to move boxes, but I, I, I have a degree in engineering. For me, I've sat on many steering committees to choose people for jobs from the international community, for, for like UN projects and different things like that. And I, we, we would look at students we are fearful of students who are now coming straight out without any, any experience. But we look to see in that CV, um, because we've had some impressive CVs. I can think of quite a few right now of people who actually um, did things within the time that they were at college. But they did research. We offered no research possibilities here. I, I was offered the first one, and then they t I think they took it off the table. Um, and research is offered to students who have a good academic um, record. And they are in the good academic record, they, they are allowed to work much more hours and stuff. But then they're seen as possible people to continue to push. And that research then um, is something you can put on your CV. And I would, as somebody hiring, will look at it. For sure, you know I would want to know what the research was about. I might even take a look on the net and see if that there was a paper there, and to see if you can really handle whatever job it was. If I'm hiring you, I'd like to interject on that. I think Prin has done a really good job in that in hiring Carrie Silverstock, who's a career advisor. She helped me with my resume, and I think I, I've always said this to her specifically. Every time I applied for a job, I got a response because she helped construct a resume that fit um, the type of job field that I was trying to get into. And had it not been her patience with me and just her willingness to educate me on what it, the keywords or what it takes to build um, a resume and what it takes to build a cover letter, I would have struggled dismally, not only to get into grad school, but even be willing because I, I mean there are things she taught me that I probably had no idea about so it's not only the career office that helps the international office both of those offices together do a stellar job in preparing students after grad school 
I mean, after undergrad, if you know what your intentions are, I mean, and I always say there's this, but when I came to print, I didn't know who to ask. Luckily for me, I had people that were upperclassmen to help me on my journey. I had friends that were either graduating or about to graduate who are the ones that guided me on my steps going forward. So I just would like to stress for anybody that's listening to the program that if you're an international student at Prince specifically, Kerry Silverstock's office is a great resource. As an international student, you need to go and speak to David David and, and Rosebond to find out what steps you can take to get an internship because that matters. You, When you apply for a job, yes, you're an international student. That speaks volumes when you're applying for a job. But what other things have you been doing outside of working for the dining service? And I remember my very last semester, I used to watch a, a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of the people that I'd watch would say, you need to build some hard skills. So what skills do you have? What have you been doing as an undergrad student that's preparing you for work outside of undergrad? Because we, I mean, you, you, you're excited to graduate and you're thinking, okay, let me maintain the 3.5 GPA, but what else are you doing? Because there are other people that are doing the exact yes. thing you're doing that don't need papers. Because when you apply for, you know, there are jobs, <laughs> when you apply for these jobs, some jobs ask you, we don't, we don't offer OPT. We don't, we don't sponsor OPT. So if you, if they don't sponsor OPT, what helps you stand out? Cause there were jobs that I applied to. I was like, you know what? I don't care whether they're offering sponsorship or not. I'm still going to apply because I knew that I did other things. And I'm not just saying other things as in, because I know being an international student is tough. It was also tough for me being, <clears throat> going into sports, working, maintaining a GPA above 3.0. That's just something that I think is tough I, like it was challenging for me and i was a, a triple double major with a minor what about someone that's an engineering student how do they manage that how's the school meeting those how how's the school meeting those needs and as at a liberal arts college you have to do yes. this for it and and so my yeah. son's um captain i would said have said an english thing of saying skip it but you know captain the um soccer team at one time and stuff like that and and I know of other people swimming, breaking records and things like that. But right now they're all looking to give it up because they can't see how they can do it all and keep on top. And they, 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 it's just impossible and nobody's taking stock of it. I mean, I, there was a pushback on the word client, but I use the word client for this reason. It doesn't matter. You could be a client could be somebody in you know the, the community you're doing a service for. So it doesn't have to be a money transaction thing. But you get to know your client in order to give a service. This is, believe it or not, a service industry. You're providing an education for students. You're providing right? a service. So right. how could you interface with a client? and not know what you're doing for them or who they are. That's part of the whole service thing. I'm snapping on that because that is so true. I've always said, you know, it's the same way when you grow up, or maybe when I was growing up, being taught, having a teacher standing in front of me that was Caucasian. And I'm like, so does that mean I can't stand there and actually teach? That is a problem. For the very fact that I couldn't see myself in her, you have to know the person that, that you're dealing with. Like, I don't know if I'm even explaining it right. Like, there's that gap. If you don't know the person that you're speaking to, you can never, ever, that, there's, that, there's that gap. That Sister, we come from ed block and we know. If you're educating the child, you have to be able to understand their learning. Never with them. And we're not children, but the same thing goes for grown-ups. Yeah. It's even with marketing. Thank you. Like you need to know your target audience. It's the same thing. If you're going to recruit students from Botswana, if you're going to recruit students from Zimbabwe, you have to know a thing or two about them. And I'm not talking no. about the animals. <laughs> sorry. Yes. So sorry. But yeah, no, you have to know something about them. And the whole thing is you come here and they they then say, oh, yes, you're from Africa, like if it's a country, you know. Yeah, I like the yeah. animals that are there. And some people even not. Have you had <laughs> weird questions that ask, 
how's it feel to have clothes on and stuff like that? <laughs> I haven't been asked that, but I had a friend that once asked me if we have Jeeps. I was like, uh, I'll tell you, think? we don't, we don't buy our cars on credit. Uh, That's yeah. the difference. So, and it's way more expensive because the imported, car is imported, yeah. it's imported to our country. So don't think because we're a third world country. Being third world does not mean we don't pay more than you pay. In fact, even the phones that we, you guys use in, in my country, the phone that I have right now is way more than it costs here. Yeah. Because of the money buy the tax that's put on it. So please don't look. I mean, <laughs> media perpetuates this idea that we're inferior to you, but know about us and then professors to understand and i don't want to say i don't want to say there are any dumb questions but i don't come here asking i I hear i hear them talking so much about um you know the issues in the united states and the issues in the united states i actually heard one person talk about um you know if it wasn't for uh foreigners you know a lot of the species would have been lost and stuff like that i want i want (laughs) <laughs> you know, like wildlife and different things, and I, I just want want to tell them, you know, you you again the incomplete story. You you're talking about that, but oh. you're not understanding that before the ships sailed to our countries, the, or when they ship, the first Europeans came. They talked about how they could walk on the water on the backs of turtles. Yeah, and but there were people eating it all the time, but it wasn't for sale. There were people, before mm. Africa had received the safari, there were people surviving in the side of Africa with all the wildlife. And there was no like overeating or overkilling of anything until people wanted ivory tusks and to be seen with, with lions and lion manes, you know, that kind of thing. So if it wasn't for the, the, the commerce, the money that now runs all our societies, those the value system was to to that the environment was sacred that you lived in harmony with mm-hmm. it that you had um you know we we'd have our stories about the river and water and how you treated things and for them it seems um i think it was some students had a lecturer come into their school and talk about how africans worship crocodiles <laughs> what because we yeah have you know but it's nature and they see god in everything they didn't look at it from that point of view they looked at it as being idol worshippers yeah you know what Denise? there are a few things that we talked about and i think we've expanded on great things but because we're left with eight minutes there are a few questions that i really would like you to answer very concisely so i continue with the next three how do you deal with homesickness as an international student and how were you able to how were you able to inform your kids your children before you came here? my kids were very homesick you know and they feel really odd because especially on the holidays when everybody goes off well they're domestic friends you know and that's why i decided to come as well you know to be there because they were all here and i i knew coming back for them was not an option right now it's really hard in our country we live on tourism and we have covid so can you imagine there's really no economy um but you were saying about how do i um deal with homesickness yeah because in your time here you've I've lost, lost a family husband. member and that's a conversation that i mean we don't give precedence to the loss of family members as inter- as international students because i know that there are times when i've lost family members and you have no choice but to delve into your academics at that time no can you explain it to anybody because in my culture it doesn't matter what you're going through if you've made a commitment yes. to your academics that's all that matters until you're done and you assume that you can compartmentalize those emotions, but in one way or another, those things affect you because that it keeps adding on. It's not like something else, something else was bound to happen. So how do you deal with the loss of a parent? And how do we inform print as a small community, the importance of allowing people to know that there's a place for them to speak about those things because they can't travel home. Well, I was able to loss. travel home. The, 
the school helped me get there. The, 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 I, it happened in the summer. In the summer but all, and Kamani, my son, was able to go back home too. The school helped sponsor him to go back home. But the, I think the biggest loss I felt was the fact that I had my son right here with me, my 11-year-old, and could not bring him, not even to visit over the weekend in the dorms. Now, we have a, in, we have a, a university that is an American university back home, and they demand that we ensure that the significant others, the families, are together, that the, we, we husbands and can, or wives can get jobs or boyfriends or girlfriends. It goes that far, that you don't have to be married, that we, they will accommodate you for your significant others. And then I, you assume me an F2, which means that's a child who is attached to the F1 visa, yeah? But yet you make no accommodations for me. I don't quite understand that, to tell you the truth. And not only that, I'm not the first person to go through that. And there are domestic people who have had the same thing, had their children, they get on the bus, they had D&D, they sit in a concourse the entire time waiting on. There's no, But I know of universities and colleges, and we're small enough to do this. I know of universities and colleges that have places where kids can wait with some supervision or help with homework and things of that nature. There needs to be a support system for that because non-trads are now becoming regular. Good, good job. And how, how did I deal you, with my, could, my, my loss? I adopted everybody on campus. Everybody became my child. And so um, my house is open for tea. I have lots of kids, despite the fact my kids are not with me. And this has become a passion. I, this, is my, this institution is a legacy in my family now. And, you know, we are struggling to improve it as the, the, the board and things. But I give them this one last thing that, you know, progress is law. And if you deny that, if you try to keep in the vein of traditionalism, you will be so not honoring the thing that this school was made from because this school came about to better education and the time when people were doing it, we were much different. Mrs. Morgan, who built the school, did a very innovative thing. We can be a movement. We can make it better. We can be before the time. We're small enough to do it. But if you keep on saying everybody else is at this point, if you keep on saying we have to keep tradition, you are countering what it is Miss Eddie, as Miss Morgan had put into practice. Perfect. How would you as a parent, how could you, uh, <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> um, what advice would you give um, parents bringing their students to a school in the United States? I would, I would tell you, first of all, be very understanding. Listen to them. They're not lying. They're not exaggerating. As I thought my kids were, I, again, I apologize, children. I apologize profusely, <laughs> but you know. But the, the, it, it is not, this is not real life. This place is not real life. You know, <laughs> the way college runs is not real life. You know, it, you have 18, six subjects, 18 semester hours, you know, multiply that by three. That's exactly how much you're doing um, in hours of work. Uh, then you have 20 hours um, to put into that uh, of of work in the semester, and then on top of that, you, I mean, it's incredible. It's if you happen to be a sports person, put that on top of that. You know, it is it's just demanding. In fact, this is what businesses and workplaces are now looking into as the mental health problems, how not to stress the human resource. So why are we practicing it in the place that we are preparing people to go out in the work world? Because businesses now are saying the human resource is precious. It's mental health is important. 
So where are you with all of that? You know, I think it's really important here. Uh, we have had some incidences that, you know what? I don't know if I can speak of them, but, but no. No. we've had some incidences <laughs> of great depression here. You know, and but we are not the only school. Mm, we just look at the the incidences mm. of um, drug abuse and you know Adderall and you know. I don't know. It's about there that. and it's anyway, statistics Denise, in you. American schools all over the world. So thank you. So we can cure much, it by Denise. making a better position on this. We can. Healing <laughs> comes from truth. And first, yes. on revealing the truth, we can deal with the problem. Amen. <laughs> Y'all heard Denise. Um, thank you so much. That was Denise on Outsider, what I wish I knew before college in the United States versus what I know, what I now know. Um, don't forget to tune in on Spotify, Principia Princip Radio, Principia Internet Radio, anchor to join me on conversations to learn more to hear more to educate yourself and stay informed